Yeah, let's just go ahead and, and get back. I'm gonna uh, thank you last week, by the way, for the discussion on uh, on Jesus being being providing rest. It was a it was a wonderful discussion, and I uh, uh, love to, to have those departures once in a while. Uh, but well, we'll go ahead and just jump back into uh, Acts this week and um, take a look at Paul's journeys as he continues. And we had just wrapped up Paul and his. Uh, speech at at uh, Areopagus in Athens, and we were about to get into chapter 18 as Paul is journeying into Corinth. Now let's think about what Paul is doing here. As realize this is the Book of Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's a historical account of how the early church was founded <coughs> and how it grew, and and how the the gospel was spread on out to. Uh, the other nations as well as to the Gentiles. And let's just, let's just think for a second here as the what we know that Paul has been doing. How he has been going into these key cities and key areas, entering into uh, the synagogues, reasoning with the Jews, showing them and proving to them in the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And that he delivers the gospel to them. Some are saved, some are not, etc. as we continue to read about. But he's going into these, these central locations with the, with the idea that the gospel will spread out from there. Now he, he's just finished his journey into Athens and he has dealt with the, the, uh, the, the folks at Athens that have a little bit different viewpoint. And there was probably, from what I read, tens of thousands of, of people in Athens at the time. Nowhere like the size of what he's about to go into in Corinth. Corinth is a much bigger city. Corinth is a much uh, bigger hub for all sorts of things, uh, commerce that travels in and out and through and around. And it's, it offers some unique challenges. And so Paul is now coming into Corinth, and he, he, Corinth is one of those places where the more you read about it, the more you realize all the problems that it has, and the difficulty that that Paul must have felt as he walks into a city that has these huge um, uh, altars built to idols, and it's so populous. And there's there are there are prostitutes that are walking the street who who uh, are are worshiping um, certain gods, and it's just filled with all sorts of, of problems and and issues that have to be daunting. Um, when you when you come in there and realize that you're here for the purpose of trying to to save people and point them to the one true God, and Paul now has this task of doing what he's always done, coming in and trying to uh, convert folks and preach the gospel. And when we look at we'll read we'll read the account here, but then we also want to take a look at in First Corinthians and read something about what he says he did and how he approached things when he first got there. So <clears throat> let's jump into uh, chapter 18, verse 1, and we'll read some verses here and see where it takes us. <clears throat> verse 1, it tells us that after this, meaning after he left Athens, uh, after this, Paul left Athens, or after he finished Athens, left Athens whew, and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, 
recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was one was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So we have this, this description here of um, Paul, is, Paul is making his own way. He's, he has this profession as a tent maker, and he's working with these folks. And at this point, this is how he's, how he's supporting his, his ministry. This is how he's continuing to be able to do things and to eat and survive. And, and he's, he helps to, to provide for his own way in that process. So you, sometimes you'll hear people say, sometimes you have to be a tent maker. Well, sometimes you have to be a tent maker to, to make your own way and, and do what you need to do in order to, to fulfill the ministry God has called you to. Um, in verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he took out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. Here he is in the synagogues. He's been faced with all sorts of challenges in the past. But in this particular instance, we have this description of how Paul handles it very specifically. When he is faced with problems, when they opposed him and reviled him, he this picture this picture literally is to say he shook off his garments to say that any remnants of of anything to do with you is I'm finished. I'm washing my hands of you completely. I've done everything that I can do. I have told you about Jesus. I have explained to you who he is, and yet all you want to do is essentially cause me problems. I've had it. I'm going to the Gentiles now. And he's, he's washed his hands and says, essentially, you'll perish of your own doing. Now, <clears throat> how do we view that? How do we view that in a, in a world where oftentimes now when we talk about witnessing to people, it is don't give up. Don't give up. <clears throat> when you're persecuted for Christ, it's a good thing. Stay and fight and work and keep doing it. Can you imagine? Just imagine now if after three or four weeks of preaching, nobody comes forward during the invitation, which is common, right? And, and Brother Tink would say, you know what? I'm done with y'all. Your blood's on your own head. I'm going to go preach to somebody else who will respond. What do we do with this? Mary. Mm. But he doesn't. Neither do I, by the way. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was another part where he was talking about two people specifically, and he said, I'm going to send them and receive. Uh, you're right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, ugh, what do you do with that? Yeah. What What do you do with that? I mean, it, there's the, there's the, uh, the, where's the, the passage that says, you know, shake the dust off your shoes. Well, I mean, the, the, the Bible is, the Bible, there's, there's precedent for saying that at some point, 
if you have done what you need to do, you can do no more. There comes a point where, and I think it has to be prayerfully considered, I think it has to be Holy Spirit led. I don't think we can just, just say, all right, I'm gonna to preach to you and if you don't respond, I'm taking off. I do believe, though, that if we are trying to listen to the Holy Spirit and do what God has led us to do, that there's going to come a point in our witness and a point in our efforts where we will be led to say, I can do no more. I have said everything I can say. I have prayed every prayer. I have, you know, there's a, there's, there's a limit. And I, I do believe that, that God will make that known to the individual. I think this is a... This is a unique, it's just like when Paul said that he prayed, uh, was it, prayed three times that God would remove the thorn that in his flesh. And when that did not happen, then he says that essentially my grace is sufficient for you. So at that point, how did Paul know that it was time to stop? When did he get to that point where it was time to say, I'm done. So it has to be prayerfully considered and Holy Spirit led. And so that's what we're talking about here when we look at, at what Paul has done as he's walked into Corinth. <coughs> I certainly believe that he has been led by the Holy Spirit to say, I'm going to go over here now. It's time to shift gears and go somewhere else. Verse 6 also says that they oppose themselves and blasphemy. And to me, it almost sounds like he, what he was doing was almost becoming counteractive. Mm. And I don't know, that's the way I... No, that's, that's actually, that, that's, that's quite possible. Yeah, I could see that. And then knew that what he was doing was not helping. If anything, it was only making things worse. Yeah. Left. And if you look at it from that perspective then you start to think about um, when Jesus, I've said this a couple weeks ago, I think, when Jesus tells us that we should never tire of doing good, at what point is our, is our good no longer good? At what point are we starting to, to, to either be an enabler or are we just causing people to turn from us or whatever it may be? You start to look at it and you say, this is just having an opposite effect and I need to, I need to stop. Yeah, I need to stop. So yeah, he certainly could have looked at it and said, "All right," but but I I do love the fact that that because because it would on one page if you look at it like that he could have just said, "Okay, I'm just going to back away," but he washed his hands of them. It says blood on your own head. This is the way I Yeah, that's exactly right. Yes, blood your your let your blood be on your own head. Yeah, it's not a. Uh, <clears throat> It, I mean, to me, that says, I'm done. He's, he's dropping the mic and he's walking. <clears throat> so he is innocent in this situation. And so, but yeah, I, I read things like this, just like you said, Marianne, and, and, and you wonder, how do you reconcile that with, with, with don't, don't give up? And uh, let's keep reading down through here because I want to get to uh, the end of verse 11. And maybe we'll add to this discussion just a little bit. So verse six, and they and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Verse seven, <clears throat> and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, excuse me, 
a worshiper of God. And remember our discussions on a worshiper of God. This is a man who worships with the Jews, but is not a Jew, is not holding to all the Jewish laws, but is certainly looking for the answers. Says his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So I was reading in this book that LD had given me, written by John Stott, which is a, essentially, a, this, this is a commentary on the book of Acts. Um, John Stott makes this point that when you are in a big city, think about how things are today. He makes the point that if someone from our neck of the woods were to go into the inner city and just start out and try to witness to people, we would have more problems and be less effective than someone who has been living in that city and understands the struggles. Makes sense. And so when I look at this and I see that he receives this this vision from Jesus and says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. One, that's going to strengthen him. And two, it gave him this this ability to know that he can stay in that city and work. And the longer he stayed there, and I think it's it's significant that we learn he was there for a year and a half, because that gave him time in this larger population, in this more messed up city, to actually get to an understanding of what's going on and, and, and to know more about the people and to be able to witness more effectively. But Jesus also told him in the vision, I've got people here already. So what does that tell you? It means hopefully that the more people you witness to, the dots are gonna to start to be connected and things are gonna to start to happen. Now, in the in, when we look at 1 Corinthians at the beginning of it, I'm going a couple more minutes here, but when we look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we find that he mentions how he said, I chose to know nothing or to speak of nothing, essentially, than Christ crucified. So in other words, when he came to Corinth, he was focusing strictly on the gospel message in a very simplistic manner. <clears throat> he didn't complicate things. He didn't, he, he makes it very clear as he's reading, or as we're reading in 1 Corinthians, that he was trying to keep it as simple and straightforward as possible. And, and John Stott brought, brings a point out, and I just want you to ponder on this for a minute, that when you look at a city like Corinth that is totally wrapped up in um, pride, that's a, it's a big thing with people and the, their, their way of life that you cannot hit pride any harder than with the gospel because the gospel attacks pride and becomes offensive very quickly. 
And, and Paul recognized that the best weapon he had when he came into the city to preach was to stay simple. Let's keep preaching the gospel, preaching God's word, preach it very straightforward. It doesn't sound to me like he took the approach that he took in Athens when in Athens he was relating to them and of their, um, you know, when, when we hear about him witnessing, he, was, he, he talked about their, their, their philosophers and he, he used different ways to connect with them. Sounds like he took a totally different approach here, but very simplistic at the same time. And so I just want you to think about that and uh, we'll get into that a little bit or we'll continue on with that a little bit next week about how he uh, continued to witness in Corinth and what kind of results he had. Um, but he was there for a year and a half and allowed him to assimilate a little bit more, allowed him to get to know people a little bit more, understand the struggles a little bit more and, uh, and, and try to be effective. But yet the message that he presented was just straightforward truth. And so let's, let's again, keep that in mind when we are trying to witness to people. I think there's a precedent here for in the right situation for getting to know what kind of a, of a life people are living to get to understand the challenges that they're facing and work with them over time to lead them to Christ. You know, you, but you keep, but you keep it simple. You keep saying the same thing over and over again. You, you keep saying, this is the good news of Christ. And the more you learn about what people are going through, you can continue to say this is the good news of Christ, but relate to them more and more and more and more. Does that make sense? Because the more that you understand what somebody's going through, the more you can keep saying, listen, I, like I told you, here's, here's the good news of Christ. And I understand. And let me tell you how this how this comes into play and works for you. Um, so I'm not jumbled up there a little bit. I was trying to wrap that up in, in two minutes. So We'll continue reading about Corinth next week and get into Antioch. Um, but I'll, I'll try to bring in, I want to bring in a map and show some of the uh, journeys that Paul has gone on. And uh, I'm also going to read some things to you next week about the uh, the layout of, uh, of Corinth and some of the things that Paul would have seen when he walked in to give you more of a, of a picture of what it really looked like there. So any comments or questions before we wrap up? Oh, good. Yeah, I was going to, I'm going to see about using one of the TVs and I'll put something up on it next week so we can, uh, if I can get it in here and, and uh, just talk about it a little bit to go over this. So, well, thanks for being here again this morning. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll continue on as we move forward. And then uh, let's see. Uh, Dave, could I get you to close for us this morning? Thank you. Uh, thank you for all the uh, nice weather outside today, Lord. We appreciate you with us. We do come up this morning, but you couldn't be here for whatever reason. You know, just open up our hearts and minds. Um, just keep all distractions from us, so we can focus on you and what your message is for us. We have a team this morning to come with you, Lord. We have all the things you can see. Amen. Amen. Thank you.